Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education politics and education policy. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Well, we've got one week of the legislative session in the books, which in theory means that the 2018 legislative <laughs> session is one week closer to adjournment. The but, best news I've heard all week. Well, yeah, but uh, who, who knows how, how long we really have until adjournment. A lot to recap here from this, this first week. We've got full coverage from Monday on at IdahoEdNews.org. So we'll, we'll kind of quickly hit the high points of the, the governor's state of the state and, and his budget address, and, and then maybe talk about kind of where we go from here. Yeah, kicked it off Monday, Kevin, a 55-minute speech from the governor, his 12th and final state of the state address, and uh, it was long. It was the longest he's given. It was sort of meandering. Uh, the biggest applause line I caught was at the end from Senator Chuck Winder when Otter <laughs> said, in conclusion... Um, but between there, uh, a few policy points that were brought forward uh, and a lot on the education front, right? Yeah, yeah a, a lot of uh, talking points in this budget and in the state of the state with regards to education. We got a little bit better sense of what this higher education CEO would look like in, in Butch Otter's dream world. And I say dream world because I think this could be a, a contentious issue, even though he's kind of structured it as a... Uh, largely one-time, uh, using largely one-time funding to do some consulting work to try to figure out what sort of savings you could find within the higher ed system, but it still creates a $200,000 a year position. I think there's going to be some uh, potential pushback on that just because it's a new initiative in an election year. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a potentially uh, an uphill battle for the governor. Other things in the budget, probably not as much of an uphill battle. Another round of pay raises in the career ladder. I would be shocked if there's a whole lot of pushback there because uh, I think a lot of lawmakers feel like this is year four of a five-year commitment that's been made. Um, some additional funding for uh, literacy, which I think was a little bit of a surprise because it's geared more towards students that are, uh, that, that are already reading at grade level, who score basic on the IRI. A little bit more money for reading... Uh, we're a year or two now into this literacy initiative. We've seen some improvements in the scores based on the first year. Still seeing a lot of kindergartners coming in, not at grade level. So there's obviously still a big issue there and a big need in terms of uh, helping K through three students in, in reading. Some money for scholarships, uh, for, for college scholarships. Also trying to get back to this idea of this adult completer scholarship. That's kind of all over the place. With the, Let's talk about this idea real quickly with the Idaho Opportunity Scholarship, which is a popular scholarship designed to help Idaho. It, it's sort of a need-based and a merit-based need yeah. uh, scholarship sort of designed to help Idaho high school graduates continue their education. Uh, but there's a backlog of students who are qualified, who meet the baseline requirements, but have been unable to receive the scholarship. Part of that is because it's a renewable scholarship, and so it's, it's, it's kids who have already gotten it renewing it, but they want to expand this in a couple of different directions, right, Kevin? Right, right. So there are two different uh, expansions that are at play here. There would be more money going into this opportunity scholarship, and you're right, and we've written about this and we've posted the numbers uh, back last month when I did uh, our series on higher education. There isn't enough money to go around for the students who qualify for this opportunity scholarship. 
the governor wants to put another $5 million into the scholarship, which would get you a little bit closer to meeting all of the need. I'm not sure it would get you to meeting all of the unmet need and get money in the hands of every student who qualifies for the scholarship, hits the grade point average that the state is looking for, a 3.0, and wants to stay in, in, in Idaho to continue their education. That's a big part of it is uh, this is an opportunity scholarship uh, for Idaho institutions. Yes. Now it gets a little bit more complicated when the governor talks about this adult completer scholarship. He's on board with this. His higher education task force has been on board with it. And what it does is it would provide money to adults uh, who have gone and completed some college. Maybe they have a few credits. Maybe they've had a year or two of college, went back to the workforce, went home maybe to start a family, um, got sidetracked from getting a degree for whatever reason. And, you know, life happens, and, and it happens to a lot of people. And the state figures that there are about 278,000 Idahoans who have some college credit but no college degree. This scholarship would be geared towards helping those students, not your 18- to 22-year-olds who are going into college uh, straight out of high school. This idea has hit a lot of resistance at the legislature the past two years. So Otter's trying to do something a little bit interesting here. He's trying to put more money into the scholarship program, into this popular opportunity scholarship that has received additional funding in the past. And he's trying to kind of shirk tail a little bit here with uh, allowing the state board to use 20% of the money for the adult completer scholarship. I'm going to be very interested to see how that uh, unfolds during this legislative session because... You've got one scholarship program that legislators have been on board with, and I, yep. think, I think there is a lot of sentiment towards the idea that uh, this is a program that needs more money. Adult Completer, they, you know, Otter and the State Board and the advocates for that have never gotten that over the finish line. They've never really uh, gotten it, uh, gotten it uh, past one chamber or the other, if, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. I think it died on the Senate floor a couple of years back. So, you know... This could be another area where uh, there could be tough sledding for the governor. Yeah. I want to talk about, I went to the first JFAC meetings this week, and JFAC is the joint budget committee that puts together uh, all of the state budgets, including the largest state budget, the public school budget. We learned that in two weeks, uh, the joint budget committee is going to be transitioning into education week, where they will hold budget hearings for each of the state's colleges and universities, and then they will close out the week. Uh, late in January with Superintendent of Public Instruction, Sherry Ibarra's budget request. And now we're kind of getting close to the point where we can compare Ibarra's budget proposal uh, against the governor's budget proposal. The bottom lines were similar. Um, They each called for more than a $100 million increase in funding for K-12 public schools. Uh, But there's about a 13 or so million dollar difference in there. And a lot of it has to do with this idea of discretionary funding, Kevin. And discretionary funding, the term is a little bit misleading. Some people have called it operations funding in the past, but it's basically a pot of money where school, local school districts have a little bit of discretion, a little bit of levity in where they can use that money, whether they want to put that into uh, transportation costs, healthcare costs, I- I- any number of things to help sort of keep the lights on. The governor has not, has proposed not increasing discretionary funding beyond its current levels, uh, but the superintendent would like to increase it by 
14 million dollars is an amount that sticks out I I I think that's close. Uh, correct me yeah, if, if I, you I remember something different. I think the difference between those two budgets can pretty much yeah. be uh, pinned to the difference of opinion about operational funding. There are other differences, but that's uh, a big difference between what uh, Ibarra is pushing for and what Otter is pushing for. You know, and, and you hit the nail on the head in terms of why this operational funding is such a big deal to a lot of school districts. Uh, employee benefits, insurance costs continue to rise. Yeah. I think there's widespread understanding at the state house that this is a problem, that districts and charters are really getting eaten up here financially uh, by the, the rising cost of insurance, the rising cost of benefits. But this legislature and this governor have not figured out uh, a way to get on the same page about how to solve this problem. Uh, we've had in the past the governor talking about creating a line item. Uh, Dean Mortimer, the Senate Education Committee chairman, has talked about we need a, a line item. We need something to that's uh, a dedicated fund to help uh, help cover benefits costs. And if I remember right, going back three, four years ago, the issue of discretionary funding was one of the things that killed uh, that education bill, that education budget in the Senate, and that was one of Mortimer's big uh, concerns. And, and this benefit issue and these benefit costs are not going away anytime right. soon. We're talking about 160 million dollars that schools are having to spend in terms of employee benefits. And even when you think about the differences in these budgets and when you think about the increase in discretionary funding, operational funding that uh, Superintendent DeBarra wants, it's not covering $160 million. It earmarks, uh, as I did the math last week, something like $7 million for benefits. So it's, it's a little dent in a big problem, a big challenge that's facing schools. So I, I think that's going to be something definitely to listen for in a couple of weeks when Ibarra uh, goes before JFAC. Uh, JFAC has really worked in the past couple of years to increase operational funding. So there is some, some sentiment within that committee about trying to put money in, in that area. And we'll have some articles coming out, uh, getting people prepared for the budget hearings uh, coming up later in January. I did want to point out that our friends at the Post-Register newspaper in Idaho Falls had done an article on this subject this week. And they got a statement from the governor's press secretary. And it sounded like one of the issues for the governor was um, still kind of the to-be-determined nature of the legislature's interim school funding formula committee. Now, that's a group that's been working each of the past two years that we have followed closely. They came out with a recommendation in 2017 to switch to a student-centric enrollment-based method of funding that would be shifting away from the average daily attendance uh, based method of funding. It sounds like a fine distinction, but it is an important difference. Um, but beyond the basic recommendation, we haven't seen the specifics. And I think the governor's office cited um, wanting to know more where that group is going before asking for another increase in discretionary. Right. And I thought that was interesting in the article. It's a good, good piece uh, done by our, our friends Brian Clark and Nathan Brown over there. Um, you know, this funding formula committee, you've attended meetings of theirs, I've attended meetings of theirs for the past two years. We are still at the concept stage. I yeah. don't anticipate that we're going to see a whole lot in terms of specifics. I don't think uh, the committee is necessarily looking at laying out a specific plan to to redo the funding formula. I mean, they may be issuing some sort of a concurrent resolution this year or a report to the legislature, uh, but I think the specific nuts and bolts of a proposal have not been determined. And I think that some of those members may be looking to come back 
to see if they could come back next mm-hmm. year and do even more work. That would be highly unusual, at least in the decade or so that I've followed state government, to see an interim committee go on for a third for, consecutive for, for year. A third year. I haven't really seen that. I, I'm not to say that it hasn't happened, but I haven't seen that. No, and yeah, again, it, it's it's kind of like, like what we were talking about before with the career ladder um, and, and kind of waiting on this uh, employee benefit issue while you, you fund the career ladder. If you're waiting also on this funding formula committee, the bottom line at the district level, at the charter school level, at the local level, this is a challenge that uh, school administrators are dealing with every year when they set a budget, and it's not going any go, it's not going away anytime soon. And it may not get any easier because if we talk about uh, theoretically the, the interim funding formula committee getting back together another year later this year to do more work, we're going to have another governor uh, by that point in time. There may be significant uh, changes in the legislature. We already anticipate changes. Uh, at the head of the Joint Budget Committee. It may be a different political landscape uh, mm-hmm. 10 yeah. months from now, one year from now. Uh, so I, I don't know where this goes from here. Yeah, me either. And, uh, yeah. again, not to kind of beat on a dead horse here, but it is, uh, it's an issue that is in the here and now at the local level uh, for, for, school, for school districts, for charter schools. So um, I don't know what kind of help may be on the way from this uh, legislature. We'll see. Yeah, for sure. Um, basically, what we learned this week is, is, is that we're gearing up for uh, another busy year. We've, got, we've, we've talked about the K-12, but let's talk real quickly about some things that were not in the governor's speech on Monday or that were not in the governor's budget proposal that he unveiled alongside his speech. What stood out to you, Kevin? Well, I don't know if it stood out to me so much, but it uh, it's definitely on my mind as, you know, we saw this first week unfold. Uh, the governor does not lay out any money for pre-K, nor does Sherry Ibarra, and we've talked before about... And not a surprise. And not a surprise on either front. I mean, the governor is always, uh, has never proposed funding for pre-K. Uh, Superintendent Ibarra is talking about uh, trying to go with more of a digital approach using a, a free app. Uh, to help four four year olds uh, get ready for for kindergarten. With that as backdrop, we had a very interesting news conference on Wednesday. The um, Association for the Education of Young Children. This is the group that has been pushing the, the pre K issue, uh, probably the hardest of any uh, advocacy group in the state. Released uh, statewide polling data, widespread support, overwhelming support, according to this poll anyway. Uh, for state funding of pre-K. We were talking about uh, 75 to 80% support. The elusive supermajority. Exactly. I mean, this is these are very uh, high levels of support. Uh, you know, a supermajority, as I recall, of parents of uh, preschool-age students saying, yeah, I would send my kid to a state-funded pre-K if I had the opportunity. And majorities of respondents saying that they strongly support pre-K. And when I talked to the pollster, Afterwards, he said, you know, that shows a lot of passion. That shows a lot of intensity. You don't always see that in, in a poll. <laughs> so the advocates are obviously hoping that this, uh, this set of numbers is going to resonate with legislators. Uh, Beth Oppenheimer with the Association for the Education of Young Children, she said that she hopes that these numbers turn pre-K into a safe issue politically instead of legislators feeling that they're kind of sticking their neck out, pushing for this issue that uh, they've got the ample support in their legislative districts to, to make the push. 
But you're, you're still where you were about a year ago. You have maybe more data. You have a better sense maybe of where the, the public is on this, according to this one poll. Right. Still no funding in anybody's budget and still really no path forward legislatively. I think the advocates are hoping to get a hearing again yep. uh, on another version of a pre-K bill, this one modeled after uh, a Mississippi state law. But really, they're just hoping for a hearing. I mean, I don't think we're going to see any big momentum on this issue this legislative session. I think we'll see more discussion uh, than we see action. Sure, fair enough. One other issue I noticed, the governor's higher ed CEO proposal is something we've talked about for a couple of weeks now. It's made headlines for several weeks now. That was in the state of the state. We knew that was coming. But less news overall on the higher ed front. That was sort of the most dramatic proposal. Um, Not a lot else. No, and, and a fairly tight budget for higher education. You know, we're talking about this uh, CEO. We're talking about uh, putting more money into the Opportunity right. Scholarship. But when you talk about day-to-day funding for the higher education system, the, the general fund budget for higher education, the governor came in with a, uh, a proposed increase of 2.3%. Contrast that to an overall state budget that would increase by 6.6%. Correct. A K-12 budget that would increase by 6%. Correct. You know, the, that kind of a budget, you know, I'll be curious to see uh, how that would play out or how that's going to play out if that's what uh, higher education gets again. We've written about this. I, you know, this is a big part of my series last month, the shift of funding responsibility in higher education away from the taxpayer and onto the backs of students and parents. It's been going on for years. With this kind of a a budget proposal, I can't imagine that trend reversing itself. And you you get right into that affordability issue because you're expecting families to to cover the cost of higher education. It becomes more of a a transactional uh, approach. I mean, it becomes a job training thing for for high school graduates and their parents as opposed to funding higher education at at the state level and putting uh, a baseline of funding into it as, as sort of a public good. So... Yeah, a fairly small budget increase for higher education, especially when you look at what what else is in that budget. Sure. One other kind of cool legislative story that I got to this week uh, that I wanted to point out real quickly. The House Education Committee is going to test out a new remote testimony program. And why is this cool? Well, for years and years and years, uh, the game has always been the same at the State House. If you wanted, if there was an issue you cared about, if you wanted to testify on a bill, you had to get yourself to Boise at the time of the meeting to testify in person or you were out of luck. Now, uh, two legislators, uh, House Education Committee Chairwoman Julie Van Orden and Representative Carolyn Nilsen-Troy from North Idaho, have established a pilot program to allow remote video conferencing uh, testimony during certain House education hearings at different locations across the state. So if you live in Idaho Falls or Pocatello or Twin Falls or Moscow and you want to follow the legislature a little more closely, you might have that opportunity this year uh, and you don't have to get a plane ticket or brave the icy highway. So if you want to find out just a little bit more about their program, it's not going to be available every day. It will be for certain bills and they're going to announce it um, about three days in advance. I have a story just about the remote uh, testimony program and I think we published that back on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. So if you live outside of the Treasure Valley and are interested in following the legislature a little more closely this year, that may be a story that you want to check out. It's a really interesting topic. I mean, it's groundbreaking for the Idaho legislature to be talking about this, but 
it's not groundbreaking in the real world no, here. No. I mean, you know, you know, Skype is, you know, part of the fabric of American business and has been for quite some time. I mean, we, we Skype in our Eastern Idaho reporter when we do a staff meeting. I mean, you know. Schools have been using this technology for several years now. Exactly. I mean, this is not, uh, I mean, this is, it seems like such a common sense idea in the sense that it has been going on in so many other sectors of American society that, uh, you know, why shouldn't uh, you have some sort of an opportunity like this uh, for, for folks around the state to weigh in on legislation? So, you know, it, would, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see this really take off this legislative session, depending on which bills get, yeah. uh, get piloted out with the remote testimony. If it's a hot topic, I mean, let's say it was science standards, which has been a hot topic for the past couple of legislative sessions. If you allow remote testimony on something like that, I imagine you might uh, have quite a few people around the state wanting to weigh in. And it's set up to where people could testify at, at several locations around the state. So it's, uh, you, know, you know, we'll watch it closely, and especially because it's a committee that we watch closely in the first place. Yeah, I mean, you and I, no secret, uh, we're based in Boise now, but we have both lived and worked outside of uh, Boise and other parts of Idaho. And we always heard the great state of Idaho, of Ada, the, the sort of irking uh, quality to the legislature that people from outside of the Treasure Valley would be frustrated because their perception, sometimes rightly, was that the legislature is pretty much only hearing from Boise folks uh, on their testimony. This it, could shake it, that it up. It takes time to drive from Idaho yeah. Falls to Boise. We've both made that trip numerous times. And it is not a fun and easy trip in no. the middle of the winter no. when the snow is flying and blowing. So, yeah, I, I think this is, a, a, like I say, I mean, it's, uh, it is not cutting edge. <laughs> it's yeah. going on all over the place. So uh, uh, we'll watch and see how it plays out at the state house. Sure. Just very quickly, uh, the fact that the first week of the legislative session is over means we are one week closer as well uh, to May's primary elections. You had just a couple of... Uh, general kind of primary preview stories this week. Real quick, let's run through the headlines and yeah. people can seek them out themselves. Yeah, just quickly, A.J. Balukov, uh, the Boise School trustee, uh, is making another run for governor. We knew that. He had uh, indicated that he was going to run. Made it official this week, started his uh, round uh, around the state tour, uh, doing some announcements uh, starting in eastern Idaho on Wednesday. We've got a little bit of an update on my blog our candidate profiles continue this week. Uh, sat down with Michael Snyder. He is one of the six Republicans now running yeah. in the first congressional district. Um, there's no doubt where uh, Michael Snyder comes down in terms of the president. He describes himself as a 100% Trump supporter, says that Trump's election restored his faith in America. And he says that if elected, he would be President Trump's best friend in Congress. So you, you, you can read about him and kind of where he comes down on education topics, because that's really what we've been trying to do with these stories right. is get past some of the sound bites and, and get a sense of, well, where do you stand on federal education topics? So we dig into that a little bit with him. And obviously the coverage will ramp up and continue as we get closer to May 15th and the primaries in the Republican and Democratic side. Yes. Speaking of the Democrats, still have not seen a Democrat file for superintendent of public instruction. Theoretically, they will. We haven't heard it or seen it yet, so stay tuned. We'll be back next week with another new edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. We'll have more legislative news, more political news, 
And we'll be getting really, really close by then to the big education week in front of the Joint Budget Committee. That's one of our biggest weeks of the year every year. Uh, And not just now on on the K-12 front, but as we've ramped up our coverage of higher education, I anticipate being there most of the week listening to the presentations from the university presidents. So stay tuned. We'll help you make sense of what is destined to be a wild and strange legislative session, if history is any indication. Uh, But we'll be there to um, try our best to make sense of it all, and we'll go through this together, right? Well, thanks so much for listening. We always have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast. If you want to follow our breaking news, you can give us a follow on Twitter, at Idaho Ed News. Also, check us out on Facebook. Uh, As always, thanks so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.